Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly re rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. The second reading this evening is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because 
God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is the word of the Lord. How are we? Oh, good, good, good. Today's been one of those days where, you know those days where you wake up and you think, I'm going to be sick today and I can feel myself getting more and more sick. But anyway, the drugs will kick in about now. We've got four hours. <laughs> well, we're not going to go for four hours. Don't worry. All right, last week we opened the little book of Ruth, a little story. And we saw that some stories are told again and again, but at first we're scratching our heads to think, why tell this one again? As we unpack this little story of Ruth, we're going to see why you tell such a story. That it's going to point to the ultimate story, the story of Jesus Christ. And indeed, if you understand it, can actually reshape the story of your life. So that's where we've been, that's where we're going. Uh, before I was a minister, uh, I used to be an English high school teacher. Uh, both jobs I've had get the same reaction. An interesting choice. But, you know, I love both my jobs. Uh, but when I was teaching Year 12, uh, particularly how to write a story for the HSC, I would give them two rules. One of them, was never end your story with, and then I woke up. Oh, 5,000 other students will be doing that in the state. Just don't do it. It's cliched. The other rule I would say is this. Character is king. You could have an amazing plot with an unexpected ending, but if your characters are dull, it's a rubbish story. I gave the example of Matrix. Love Matrix, interesting plot line. What's real? What does chicken taste like? The red pill, the blue pill. Amazing. And then you've got Keanu Reeves. Oh, about as exciting as brown bread. I mean, it ruins the whole thing for me, right? When you think of your great, the movies or the, the, the books that you love to read, you think of the characters, don't you? You think of... Atticus Finch, Winnie the Pooh, Mr. Darcy, Don Colleone, Katniss Everdeen. These characters that you want to know more about, what, what drives them? What motivates them? 
How do they react in different situations? When it comes to stories, character is king. And as we come to chapter 2 of Ruth, it is the same. Character is king. We know this chapter wants us to focus on the characters. The, the narrator is pushing us in that direction for two reasons. One is, not much happens in chapter 2. Happens in a day and some wheat is collected. Not an interesting plot line. But if you have a look at the first verse of chapter 2, page 225 in your Bibles, Ruth 2, verse 1 says this, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, at first you're thinking, well, that's an interesting fun fact. It's like me saying, and I have an aunt named Doris. Yeah, yeah. Why, why begin like this? In ancient uh, storytelling, they didn't have italics, underline, bold. They would repeat things. And the narrator is saying, hey, keep your eyes out for this character. And so the narrator wants us to slow down and to get to know these characters. Not only who they are, but what drives them, what motivates them, how do they react, how do they go about their life. So let's look at the first character, the character of Ruth. Verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. Naomi the Israelite, Ruth the Moabite. They returned to Bethlehem, and they get there, and they've arrived with nothing. Both their husbands have died. They have no food. They have land in Bethlehem, yes, but they haven't been working it. There's been famine. And so they have no food. And so what does Ruth do? She doesn't sit around and wait for free handouts. She doesn't say, well, I need a man in my life before I can do something. What does she do? She gets out and she starts working. She's not lazy. She's a self-starter. And what's the kind of work she does? Gleaning. Have you heard of the word Cleaning has nothing to do with that. Gleaning, it means to collect. And it would be collecting the leftover wheat and barley in the farm. Ruth was able to do this kind of work because of one reason. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it says this. It's on the screen. This is a law from God to his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of the field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Where God is telling farmers not to exhaust the crop, leave a border of it. When wheat falls off the back of the truck, aka a donkey, leave it there. Let those who are poor, marginalized, broke, collect and eat. Now, the reason a law like this is given is not because it's good to help the poor. No, 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 it's much richer than that. What does it say at the end? I am the Lord your God. It's tied to the character of God. 
Israelites' economy and even the way they do small business was to reflect who God was. And this law, I guess you, you could call it a thermometer to gauge how well God's people were going at loving their neighbor. You might be thinking, this could be promoting a bit of dull bludger, you know, a bit of freeloaders. But Ruth, she needs this, doesn't she? But she is anything but a bludger. The report card for her is in verse 7, where the workers say, she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. In other words, she gets in and goes for it. What I love about Ruth, what stands out to me, is not the type of work she does, but how she goes about it. I mean, it's gleaning. It's not that impressive. It's picking one thing up after the other. But she works hard, doesn't she? The dignity is found not in the type of work she does, but in how she goes about it. She works to provide for the needs of her family, her mother-in-law, Naomi, so they can eat. Works to be a blessing. And she works humbly. Verse 7, it says, she asks, please let me glean and gather among the sheep. She's not presumptuous, she's humble. Ruth's character has something to say to us, doesn't it? See, when we meet people, what's one of the first questions we ask? What do you do for a job? And whatever they say, we evaluate it. Oh, you're a lawyer, you're a gardener, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a teacher. We sort of, we evaluate it, don't we? But Ruth, in Ruth's example, is saying, no matter your pay grade, no matter how many degrees it took, no matter whether you work with your head or your hands, no matter whether you went to TAFE or uni or nothing at all, no matter whether your job is unnoticeable or it changes the world, the most important thing about your work is how you go about it and do the work that God has called you to do. So as Ruth gleans, works hard, who should come by? Verse four. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Now we know, because of the verse one, we know this guy is from Ruth's ex-husband's family clan. And he owns the field in which Ruth is working in. But what's he like? He greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Now, how many workplaces in Sydney would do this kind of thing? Who would say, bless your boss. They're probably saying words which I can't repeat because I'd lose my job, right? That, that, we don't love our bosses in Australia, generally speaking. But why are they saying this? You might be thinking, well, it's got to be a Friday. I mean, who says this on a Monday? This has definitely got to be a Friday, right? But they're saying, bless your boss, because Boaz is a man of integrity. 
couple of things about Boaz. He, for one, is not afraid of sharing his faith at work. He says, I believe in God. I want to be honest. And he tells him. Also, too, he's obedient to the laws of the land. You know that because the poor are able to glean. He followed that Levitical law. He could have said, oh, yeah, but you know what? We've just experienced famine. I've got a lot of debt. I've worked hard. They haven't. He obeys the law. But I think it's the way in which he treats Ruth. Verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. In other words, he's making it very clear. Ruth, it is okay to do this. You are more than welcome. There's nothing ambiguous about this, right? Giving her permission. But verse 9, I think, is quite remarkable. He says, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. See, not only is Boaz giving permission for Ruth to work, but he wants her to not feel threatened. I'm pretty sure verse 9 is the first recorded anti-sexual harassment policy. Because Boaz is aware that Ruth is in a vulnerable place. She's a foreigner. She doesn't belong here. She's a young, beautiful woman. She's in a place of vulnerability, right? And Boaz could have said, well, look, let just men be men, just guys. He could have turned a blind eye. He could have made a sexist joke, but you know what he did? He had the courage to look those guys in the eye and say, do not lay a hand on her. If you're a boss here today, you have tremendous influence on the culture of your workplace. Do the people who work for you feel safe? Because Boaz is saying to the women on his farm, you should be treated well, feel safe, because you are image bearers, not sexual objects. Boaz goes on to say, and whenever you're thirsty, Ruth, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. In other words, refresh yourself. You work hard, drink whenever you need. Now, if this is how Boaz cares for Ruth, someone who doesn't work for him, think about how he cares for those who do. Is it any wonder why those who work for him say, bless your boss? It's not just Fridays. It's every day. For those of you in a position of leadership in your workplace, let me ask you this. What do those who you lead think of you? Are they aware that you have a Christian faith? Uh, to help us as a church uh, step forward in this, uh, we as a staff have decided, uh, to those of your members, 
uh, to contact two people in your workplace and ask them this question. Have you, and if so, how, seen so-and-so live out their Christian faith in the workplace? Now, we started this on Monday, right? And it was very interesting, the responses. I'm just joking. We didn't do that, right? We're not going to do that. You can, I can see you're, you're a bit anxious there, right? We're not going to do that. What if we did? How'd that go down? For Boaz, people saw the God he worshipped. His Sundays matched his Mondays. He was a man who upheld the law, didn't cut corners. He was a man who protected the vulnerable. And he actually practically cared for those under his leadership. People in your workplace, they may roll your eyes at the fact you believe in God. Think you're crazy that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But when they look at your character and the way you go about your work, they think maybe there is something in this. Not only is Boaz a man of integrity at work, but he's generous. What's the phrase that keeps coming up all throughout the book? Ruth the Moabite. As I said last week, it's like the narrator thinks we've got amnesia. We just forget. It says it again and again and again. Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. Remember, the narrator saying, she doesn't deserve to be here. She's, she's not one of God's people. When God made that promise to Abraham that, through, that he would make a people for himself, she wasn't a part of it. And yet, Boaz is radically generous to her. Radically, radically generous to her in terms of his reputation, right? It would have brought a lot of shame for him to show kindness to her. You, you can just see the stocks depreciating. The board getting anxious. It's bad PR. But Boaz is kind to Ruth. But financially, it cost him. Because have a look at, was it 15? As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them her to pick up and don't rebuke her. This is like saying, come from the food scraps and enter the master chef pantry and take. That word pull out, it basically means to plunder, take as much as you want, give an abundance. And in the end, she's got, verse 17, an epa. That's not a doggy bag. That's 13 kilos. And she carries it somehow without a trolley all the way back home. She's a strong woman, Ruth. And Ruth knows that she does not deserve this. She knows she doesn't deserve it in the slightest. Why is Boaz so radically generous? And why does he treat her so extraordinarily well? She says, verse 10, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? She's gobsmacked. Why? What does Boaz say? I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Now, 
Naomi is not a hard, sorry, Naomi is a hard woman to love. When Naomi and Ruth wander back into Bethlehem, side by side, what does Naomi say? I've come back with nothing. Where's Ruth? Right beside her. I've come back. Gee, thanks. She's not a hard, she's a hard woman to love, right? And yet, she loves her. Boaz continues. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. Boaz is amazed at Naomi's radical repentance and faith in God. She has given up everything to cling to God. It has cost her great. He spells them out. What is it? You've left your father and your mother and your homeland and you clung to God and his people. He is worth it. Now Boaz knows she's not an Israelite. She doesn't have Abraham's blood running through her veins. But you know what she does have? The faith of Abraham. Because when Abraham was called to trust God, he left his homeland to follow God. And Ruth too left her homeland to follow God. And because Boaz notices faith that Ruth has, he treats her not as an outsider, but as in, not as out of the covenant, but as part of it. So he says, verse 12, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. God is depicted as this, this mother bird with defenseless young come under. I was in uh, Parramatta Park a couple of years ago, and as I was walking, this duck with little ducklings was walking by. And this bird of prey, a Nan King Kestrel, for you bird watchers, was flying over. And as it did, the ducklings freaked out. Where did they go? To the bush? No. To the water? No. Under mother's wings. And she protects them. That's the image, this precious image that Boaz is saying. That though Ruth walks back into Bethlehem full of faith, she is, I imagine, full of fear and anxiety and worry. What's going to happen? But she goes under the wings to take refuge of the God of Israel. Now, what's the irony of Boaz's words? He says, may God bless you. May he reward you, treat you well. What's the irony? It is through Boaz that God is doing it. See, Boaz introduces the third character in this chapter, a silent one. It's the God of Israel, the God who Ruth clings to and Boaz praises. Now, you might think he's an insignificant character. You can't really see him in this. But he's there, and he's very much at work. See, as Ruth set out to go work in a field, what does verse 3 say? As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Well, would you look at that? That's coincidence. Of all the fields, she chose that one. Coincidence? Don't think so. Not only does she go into the right field at the right time and meet Boaz, 
But in doing so, she seeks a greater refuge in the guardian redeemer, which Naomi speaks of. We'll look at that in weeks to come. But God is not only there in orchestrating the events of these characters. But God is saturated in this chapter because he is saturated into the lives of his people. See, the character of who God is shapes God's people. See, at no point do we really see God in this. He's not visible. He doesn't even speak, and yet he is shouting through Boaz. 1 John 4 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. See, Ruth clinged to God, but she was clinging to a God she didn't know all that much about. But the way Boaz treats her, she experienced who this God is, doesn't she? The way Boaz, when she gives her an epa of barley, reflects the radical generosity of this God. When Boaz willingly embraces a Moabite, he's reflecting the God who will accept a foreigner and is merciful to them. When Boaz protects Ruth, he's reflecting the wings of God in which she can take refuge under. God's love took on flesh, made himself known to Ruth through Boaz. See, if you're an ancient Jew and ask the question, how does God love us? The answer could be the way Boaz loved Ruth. When it comes to the story of your life, none of us have seen God. That's normal. None of us have seen God. Yes, God is at work in your life with as-it-turned-out moments. But God's love has taken on flesh and made himself known to us. See, when we ask the question, how does God love us? The answer is the way the greater Boaz has loved us. See, Jesus Christ, he gave more than an epa of barley. He gave his own body, the bread of life, and it was broken for you. Jesus was more than willing to associate with Moabites. He was willing to associate with enemies and sinners such as us and include us as part of his people. Jesus was more willing to protect us just from the eyes of evil men, but can protect us and has protected us from Satan and death and hell itself. And if you get that, you say the words that Ruth says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me a foreigner? In the character of Boaz, we see the character of God. And this God that he worships sinks deep down into his bones and you can see it. On Friday, I was at Balmoral Beach. And there, Balmoral, is a wishing well you may have seen it. And on this wishing well is sort of these grates where you throw a coin in and uh, depending on which square it lands in, you get that wish because there's a little sign on the wish that you get. 
They're classic Mossman wishes. Uh, they go like this, exam success. Uh, an exciting holiday. Not just a holiday, an exciting one. And the third BMW. Uh, that my children... <laughs> that my children would not move further west than Lane Cove. Uh, they're just, no, I've embellished a few. But there was one, there was one that stood out to be a better person. I thought, it's interesting, isn't it? If only that was that easy. 20 cents. Better person. Being a better person, changing your character, doesn't happen from a wish or positive thinking or by chance. It happens because of who you worship, who you devote your life to, where you find your meaning from. And that spills out into your character and people can see it. Boaz and Ruth worshipped the God of Israel, the God who is abounding in love and slow to anger, who hates sin and yet is profoundly merciful. And you see it in the way they go about their work, their finances, the way they obey the law, they treat others and family members. So to that end, let me ask you this one question, and I want you to think about it this week. What is life like on the other side of you? Not who are you? You know, I'm a, I'm a nice person, I do this. No, no, no. What is life like on the other side of you? What do people experience when they're around you? Your family, your friends, your workplace, your church, family. Do they experience someone who's generous, slow to anger? Kind. Do they experience someone who's self-controlled, patient, loving, obedient? Do they experience the God you worship? You know, Ruth and Boaz, they're not mentioned in the pages of history, are they? Boaz, though a man of integrity, you don't find him in any other ancient Near Eastern text. Ruth, noble woman, secular history has no remembrance of her. But what stands out is their character. The way they go about their life, reflecting the God they worship. And when it comes to the story of your life, brothers and sisters, Character is king. Let me pray. Lord God, we ask that we would focus on the things that matter. Not on what we do, but how we go about it. Not on who we rub shoulders with, but how we love and care for others. We ask, Lord, that we would spend much more time on our character, on the way in which people interact with us, that 
we would think what it's like for them to be on the other side of me. I ask, Lord, that you would shape us to be more and more like you, Lord Jesus. And that though we may not be remembered, that we will be known for our character and the way we go about life. Amen.